Stanescu and you're listening to Sported Talks. In this new episode, I talk to a guy that is so passionate about sports that few are and so passionate about helping athletes that even fewer. He is the National Director for the Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme UK and I'll let him tell you more about that. He chairs the European Union Expert Group in Human Resources Development in Sport having previously been chair for the Education and Training in Sport Expert Group. He advises a number of countries on the development of their own dual career program. I'm so glad that I can call him friend. You have to listen to him if, if you're somebody in sport or if you have any connection with athletes or with sport in general. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Guy Taylor. First of all, thank you for talking to us. Thank you for uh, the opportunity of, of, you know, telling us your story and that story. Let, let me start with a simple question. Who is Guy Taylor? Who is Guy Taylor now? Um, Guy Taylor, well, I don't want to admit it, but Guy Taylor is a middle-aged white man sat in, a, sat in an office in the north of England. Um, uh, I am... I am the national director for a program in the UK called the Talent Athlete Scholarship Scheme, uh, which supports um, up-and-coming athletes so they can follow their sporting goals as well as their education goals. But I have my fingers in a lot of other pies um, with regards dual career across the world. So I've been consultants to a number of um, governments such as Brazil and Japan and organizations such as um, FIFA Pro, we've done some work with the IOC, uh, and the reason I came to know you, I work with um, FIBA. I know, I, and, and I'm, I'm like, I'm that kid in the candy shop with this course of TAS, and for our listeners, tell us about what is TAS. TAS is a government initiative that was set up 16, 15, 16 years ago because as we professionalize sport within the UK, because most people will, will now know that we're, we're relatively good at winning medals at the Olympics, Paralympics, that was not always the case. If you go back a number of years, um, Atlanta being the prime, we only won one gold medal. And the country as a whole decided, well, we're either gonna do this properly or we're not gonna do it at all. So they decided to do it properly. And we've been very successful in that. But at the same time, there was a recognition that in this strive for excellence, you had to remember the athletes and that a sporting career is just fleeting. Um, and there is the majority, even like 70, 80% of their life after being an athlete, that this, uh, that an individual has to be able to live a fulfilling life. So the goal of TAS is to both develop athletes so they can become world-class Olympic medalists, but also keep them in education so they didn't have to make a choice. So we take athletes from the age of 16 and work with them in providing them education, whether they want to be a doctor or whether they want to be a plumber, builder, or be a lawyer, providing that education, but also developing them as athletes. So over the years we've done, I think we supported nearly five to 6,000 athletes and our athletes have gone on to win um, over 180 Olympic and Paralympic medals, but actually that's a false stat. Yes, they have gone on to do it, but that's not why we do it. It's about the individual. It's about the individual getting better at their sport and getting an education. And we do this by developing partnerships between sport and education institutions. Uh, so so you, you go in both directions. You go in also, it's not just education, like dual career or, you know, actually dual career is both directions. Uh, but but is you're not looking only to adapt education to an athlete, but also to adapt sports towards the education. Yeah, uh, uh, the big issue that we get when we actually work internationally is that people think dual career is about an athlete doing sport, and then education being well, what can we fit around that? You know, well, we've got a two-hour gap. Let's give them a bit of education. Our goal is that we take the education system and the sports system and try and marry them together so there's no compromise in either so 
a lot of people talk about dual careers being the adaption of education. Actually, there's very little adaption now we're in of an education um, system. The way that we built the support and the mechanism within universities or colleges is that they're normal students. They go there, they follow a three-year degree or they do a two-year apprenticeship. Um, and they are part of the social network within the education institution because a big issue that we also found was athletes become socially isolated, that they know their training group or they know their training partner. And if they do do education, it's them themselves with a lecturer sat in a dark room being taught separately. So they become very socially isolated and, and lose a support mechanism that most of us have um, with regards personal contacts or friends. So rather than try and treat them differently, we try and treat them as normal students as well because that helps build a support mechanism around these athletes as they go through. So the, the holy grail of dual career is that a dual career athlete is a better athlete and a better person. So they perform better because they think they have their own support mechanisms, they're stronger mentally, and um, they come out at the end of it and can go into normal life, in inverted commas, uh, a better person. Translating that to my career, I'm thinking, mm -hmm. I heard back, you know, you're good in sports, why, why stay in school? Like, you know, mind your sports mm -hmm. and you'll be, you'll be much better. You have to perform in sports, so you put all your energy, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't fool around with other stuff, you know, concentrate on sports. Or you have the other th uh, side where people tell you, okay, enough with sports, stop playing around, you know, it's time for you to learn. Yeah, oh, and, and that still goes on a lot. In one of, one of, one of the talks I do, there's, there's the big bad coach that comes along at the age of 16 or so and go, actually, come with me and I'll win you an Olympic medal, but you've got to stop your education. Sport is very good at identifying an athlete and going, we can win you a medal. And with the science, the technology, the medical support, yeah, you can do that. But it's then not very good at then going, well, actually, now what are you gonna do? You could have been a doctor, but you've got no qualifications. Sport just spits them out at the end. So we're trying to avoid that. It's still difficult in certain sports, the professional sports where money gets in the way. But if you can delay that talk about come this way, come and be a sportsman till later, till at least they've got their education, um, you're actually giving an athlete stock, something on their shelves. So when they come to retire, I have done an account, I have done a degree in law, I am a trained plumber. So all we're trying to do is delay that now you must really specialize in sport and trying to get sport to understand that there are other ways of developing athletes than purely being 100% sport. Because actually, there is more damage to the system because more athletes drop out and can't cope with it than actually if you have a combined system where, you, where it is more athlete-centric in their development than purely sport. And the flip side of that is actually explaining to parents and academics, teachers, that you can still do sport and do academia. It is possible and actually to show that you can win an Olympic medal and get a PhD in mechanical engineering. You, you it's have a different way of looking at the systems. Right. So you have to go to, to the to the stakeholders of education and say, you know, because we've, we've been there and they're like, you know what, I'm not going to mess around with the athletes because, uh, you know, our mm -hmm. average GPA is high and I don't want to have yeah. it drop because we're putting some athletes in our program. And uh, yeah. we, we heard that. We heard that in what we tried to do in, in, in previous years. And we heard mm -hmm. that, you know, we're not going to just bring some athletes here to, to uh, mess up our, our education system. And it's nothing like that. Yeah, no, it's not like that. And actually, the research that's coming out and the research that we've done, actually, most athletes, if they are allowed the opportunity, actually are high performers academically you know, the, they're not the ones that lower it they lower it if you put them in the wrong course i.e you can only do academia if if you do a sports course but i want to be a lawyer no you can only do sport they won't perform if you are now allowed to build a system that allows an athlete to do the correct education at the level they want 
ultimately the majority of them are high performers, not just in sport, but also academic. So they actually raise your standard of GPAs or, or degree classifications if you get the system right. The real skill of TAS is, is taking a sports system and an education system that those people within it believe in the primacy of their system i.e. sport, we know what we're doing. Education, we know what we're doing. We're not going to change. What we've got to say is actually, well, you can still do what you're doing, but if you just come together and work together, we can get better results. So beside the, the hands-on experience with athletes, when you're working, you educate, you, you train, you coach, you whatever, uh, you actually have to do research to take all this and say, hey, listen, we've... we've been looking in this direction uh, i understand mm -hmm. your concern but look it's not like this yeah right yeah it, it is it, it it it's it's actually getting them to think about the athlete sorry the individual not their systems because actually their systems you you can work within the system you can get the systems to support athletes At the moment, there is a mindset in there that going, unless you're doing education, that's all you can, you know, you've got to do education to do education. Right. And, you know, you can't do anything else. If you're doing sport, you've got to do sport. And, and it's just not correct. They just don't understand that if they work together, they get better results. Yeah, I also always believed that sports is a pillar of education, not not a, something that you put instead of education, but it's support yeah. of, and they both go hand in hand together. And mm -hmm. a lot of people and people that I've been talked to, or, you know, people that are involved with the high level sports in Romania, uh, did have some initiative in saying, okay, this Olympic champion just finished, finished uh, his sport career. Let me try help him to develop to a future reorientation towards professional mm -hmm. something and and i yeah. believe i believe it's not the right moment no, what is it, it doesn't dual have, career it, it do, dual career is doing it at the same time it's not do your sport then do your education if you are a an olympian that's been to three um, olympics got three medals you're 33 you are not going to go back to university for three four years to do a degree It doesn't happen. You know, you are you, you are set. You are you you are creating. You you're setting your mindset. They don't understand that dual career is that what you want is them to stand on the stand on the podium. Here's my gold medal and here's my here's my degree because it's so difficult to do it separately. And what they don't what they don't understand is that. When, when the discussion happens, you're really good at sport, come and play sport, the biggest influence on those athletes are their parents. And most parents go, hang on, you're not going to make any money in sport, you've got to go into education. So the sport assumes that their primacy is, oh, of course everybody will do sport. Everybody doesn't do sport. They lose so, many, so much talent by having a system that forces people to choose between education and sport that, you know, they're destroying their own their own system of support so it's just getting across to people do it together not in isolation Syn synergy the sum of the two parts will produce a better person if you stand alone you'll get 80 90 of that person do it together you get 100 you get everything but thinking thinking you know a lot of a lot of parents or coaches or people that are involved in athletes lives would say okay you finish you know you finish playing your sport you you can become a coach in your sport because yeah. you know you, if i know basketball i can be a coach in basketball one day yeah but how many that that that's that, that sport taking the easy option that sport being disingenuous to the athlete it's easy for them to say they oh we took them out of school at 14 they've got no qualifications but we've given them a three week a one week coaching course so they can coach basketball what happens if they wanted to be a doctor what happens if they have the capability of being a lawyer that is just so disingenuous to the athlete and their and, and their capability we've destroyed your life your future life we'll give you one week of training so you can 
coach basketball. Assuming an athlete wants to do sport is incorrect. It doesn't happen. When we started TAS, 80-odd percent of our athletes did a sports course because that's all they could get the flexibility on to do both. That has now dropped down to 30% because assuming you, you, you do sport, therefore you want to be educated, do a, do a course in sport, is incorrect. That's not right. People like playing the piano doesn't mean that they want to do a, a degree in music. People like um, appearing in theatre dramas or being in drama groups doesn't mean they want to do a degree in drama. Playing sport doesn't mean you want to work in sport. And it's an easy option that sport always takes will train them to be a sports coach. It might be right for three in ten, but what about the other seven? Like you said, though, there are some professional sports that say, okay, you cannot be doctor and football player in the same time or basketball player or, or something like mm -hmm. that. Okay, you, you might be able to be doctor and a sport that is not so demanding. Yeah. What happens to the kids that, you know, want to be architects or doctors or, or something that, you know, at 18, you, or when, when is the time when you have to decide? If you talk to most people now, most people at 18 are deciding their avenue of, of, you know, you're going to university, you're picking a business degree, you're picking an architect, you know, they, they know where they want to go and where they want to end up because they've been in an education system. It doesn't necessarily mean because of the sport that you have to do a full degree, but you can do training in, you know, courses in architecture. You know, you can build it. You can do it. Oh, right, I'm going to be a professional basketballer for 12 years. Let's use my time during those 12 years to actually build up the skill set I will need when I retire. The issue that we've got is sport don't think like that. They'll think about that. Oh, I'm going to retire. Right, I've got six months. What are we going to do? It's planning for the individual, and unfortunately, the, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I have to admit that I met so many athletes that think they're gonna, you know, retire and go fishing. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't happen. It doesn't. It doesn't. Well, the the latest results, the latest bit of survey, which was done out of Austria, which took in Olympic sports, professional sports, football, basketball, ice hockey, you know, all 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 that. So it's not so. It's, so those that earn big money playing football, that two percent of the athletes will earn enough money not to work again. So what happens to the other ninety-eight? They've got to work. I have to admit that it was uh, was another uh, research. I, I don't remember, but it was a high number of people that go athletes that go bankrupt after the first four years. Because yeah, because they've they've got no education. You know, basic. A lot of them have got no basic education. Never mind a further a degree or anything like that. They've been removed from. They live in a sport bubble. Do you know what I mean they live in a bubble where they've got money? They get fated. They get invited to this event. They get invited to that event. You know, they get free tickets. You know, they live in a bubble which, while they've been given money, but money mean has no value to them because a lot of it's free. They get you know, and then suddenly they're cast adrift by their sport. And they don't know how to look after themselves. And because they've lived in a bubble of their squad or their team, they have no no group, no group of friends who are grounded in reality to support them. And unfortunately, a lot of them get taken for a ride by agents or unscrupulous friends. You know what I mean? They just have nowhere to turn. They're just abandoned. And unfortunately, if you have very little if you've if you've not been educated or even given basic education in how to finance manage your finances that's what happens a standard joke in the uk for a very long time was where do you find an ex-professional footballer you find them managing a pub public house that's it that's you know because you don't necessarily need qualifications for that you know and your name is your name to try and get people through the door to drink in your pub but okay you have you have that bubble who's going to burst that bubble and when i mean you have you have the whole system that you know let, let's say i'm a club and i'm i'm interested in this guy to perform sports i don't care about I, i'm going to hold him for a year two mm -hmm. years three years and you know if he retires at 35 i'm going to take another one younger you know yeah. who, who's... It, it happens and um, that's the big issue when we talk we, we when we talk to either 
big organisations or governments, who is responsible for this? Because there are some very, very good isolated examples out there of how you can do it. But that's been run by an individual, you know, someone that says, this is the right thing to do, I'm going to try and do it. It's not even regional or national-wise. If you go to most countries and ask, who is responsible for athlete welfare and athlete development, they all go, um, it's them, or it's them, or it's them. You know, and everybody points at everybody else because nobody wants to step up and actually go, this is an issue and someone has to take ownership of it. You know, who in Romania is responsible for athlete welfare across all the sports? Can you name can you name somebody or an organization that is responsible yeah i can name i don't know if they can name it i can name yeah. it because i've been I've, i've been there but and actually has the political weight to do something there's very few countries that can do that so so is that us talented athlete scholarship scheme it's it's 16 years now 15 yeah. 16 well, we, years One, we're government funding, and one of our aims and objectives is the actual the, the actual aim states to be the expert lead in athlete welfare and dual career. So we have the responsibility of being being responsible for that, for trying to make the best for athlete their athlete welfare and their dual career as they develop. But there's very few countries where you go to that actually go, who has that responsibility that has the weight of the government policy behind them? So it has to be that. So, so, so people that are like the, those clubs that I was talking about, and I, I'm not big fun of it. It's they're saying, okay, it's not my business. It's not my job to do that. It's it's a yeah. government's job to do that. No, it, it not necessarily a league that has you know. So a football league could actually say as part of the criteria for the clubs, they must have a welfare. You know, they must do this. But again, that is that is somebody within the league doing it. There has to be somebody with at whatever level that actually says, and this must be done, or we're going to help you do it. And it's finding the right person. And ultimately, the book stops at the top level that you must look after your athletes. Because you probably, it's actually, it, it actually goes from senior government down to what I would call sports influencers and policymakers. And that can be in the professional sports, whether it's the league or the governing body to the Olympic committee, to the Paralympic committee, and then down to what you would, the, the sports or the clubs. It's a tiered effect. Trying to do it from the bottom up is really, really difficult. Right, that this is a job from the uh, It's got to come, it's got to come from the top, top down. And, and it's got to come with some weight saying, we want you to do this. Because ultimately, the way we sell it, the way we sell it to governments is, do you want athletes when they retire to be an asset or a drain? Because ultimately, if you, you've got this individual, they can go to the Olympics and finish eighth, or, you can, or they have the capability of being a doctor and therefore save thousands of lives during their career. But you have... Ultimately, the government will go, we'll go for the doctor. Right. Because that, in terms of social, but if you can do both, that's brilliant. So it's, but if you say he's not going to be a doctor anymore, he's going to go to the Olympics and finish eighth, which is great in terms of performance, retire, but have no education and end up working in a supermarket because he has no qualifications. The the mental, social, and athlete welfare cost to the actual country will far will you know it's a he will become a cost. Where actually, if he, if he, if you were training him as a doctor, he is an asset. So it's actually getting to the government to understand investing in the athletes so they become an asset to the country when they retire and become economically benefit rather than being a drain on the economy is is another way of doing it. And actually, that's one of the key hooks that you get into government and actually saying, do you want it to cost you or do you want to add benefit and 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 finance to your social and economic development in the country and and in in on the on the flip side the athlete once once he's been through this filter of of uh, of sports comes out with a set of soft skills that can mm -hmm. use in any other situation if he knows how to translate them and if yes. he, and if he knows how to do that what what should we do if Okay, we can we can say okay, it's not my problem, it's governmental problem. But what the individual athlete 
that is doesn't have the opportunity of a program like TUS because we'll, we'll talk a little bit later numbers and what what he can do to become to to realize okay he a first step prize made because he realized that he needs something but what are the the main things that he said okay i need i need for this my vision or my plan to do this and personal develop myself what what is he, what he is need, that basically he needs to take a long term view athletes are very see, i would call it seasonal based you know what I mean? They may have a long-term plan of winning an Olympic medal, but their planning is probably around the next season, whether it's have I got a contract or have I got a program in place, that they need to start taking a long-term view of their personal development away from sport. And actually, how many of, how many of your athletes, if you look back at your career and you say, well, I, I know I spoke at this event, I did some training here, have you got a detailed record of what you would call as your skills that you have learned outside basketball while you were a basketballer? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about it. Yeah, you were thinking about it, but but actually that that's the record. What record do you have of actually what you did, keeping a track of and understanding actually, I've learned something here, I've made a contact here, I've you know, actually departmentalized, that's my sport, but this is me. Athletes aren't good and they're not supported in developing thinking about themselves. It's more thinking about their sport. So it still comes down to support and the education of athletes that the, you know, you've got to think 10, 15 years, where do you want to be in the future? Don't wait till the last six months going, oh, I'm going to retire. What am I going to do? Athletes do pick up a lot of transferable skills as they develop, but they've still got to remember you, you retire as an athlete and you apply for a job, you will be applying against people who have a degree or have a qualification and will have transferable skills because they were, they've been in a drama club or they've been in a music club or they've undertaken other voluntary work. Assuming that an athlete's transferable skills will put them top of the list in recruitment is, a, is an issue that sport always think, thinks. Actually, they were an Olympian and they got transferable skills but you're up against someone that's got a degree and transferable skills. What the athlete has to show is actually what else have I got with those transferable skills and give examples of it. Just saying I was part of a team, therefore I'm a team player. Where's the proof? Athletes don't record or transfer that very easy. Is, is, is uh, personal branding, but when I'm talking about personal branding, it's not a logo. It's, yeah. it's the positioning and tone of voice and where do I want to be in, in future and what what does it take me to get there and is, is that a measure of success on the field, court, whatever, and outside of it? It, it is, but I, I see, I sometimes look, look at look at sports that actually athletes don't take the way some sports operated, the individualism of the athlete is taken out of them, you know, they become robots. You know, you're told this is how you do it, this is how you train, this is how you turn up, this is how you play. And their individual, their personal brand disappears. And there needs to be something put in place that actually creates the individual again, creates the individual in, in, in that they can actually think for themselves, they actually have an identity. You know, some of the saddest conversations I have always with athletes, but because they become so immersed in their sport, all they can talk about is their sport and it's giving them soft skills and support to actually expand their horizons that they don't become fixed in that you know it goes back to your comment about being a coach you know all i know is sport therefore all i can do is be a coach no open the blinkers up and actually that's relatively easy to do right TAS is governmental uh, institution and uh, of mm -hmm. course is funded by the government. What is that in numbers? What is that in numbers? Um, we currently receive approximately two million pounds a year. Um, and it's quite interesting. It's actually sport money. So it actually comes out of what you would call the government sport pot, whether that's lottery or you know direct government money, but it comes out the sport pot of the government but we spend very little of it on sport, which actually is probably one of the biggest issues that we have 
in when we talk to sports because every sport will tell you we've not got enough money. You know, mm-hmm. we we can't run our club. We can't send our team to the England to the European under. We we've got we've not got enough money. So for them to actually see that there is sport money and it's not being spent on sport, it's been spent on work with education institutions or directly to the athletes in supporting their dual career. They sometimes find it difficult to accept, but actually this is where at a higher level the government have gone. No, this is important. If we didn't do this, sport would remove these people from the education and we would have far more issues to deal with in the end than actually a small investment now in trying to be able to do both. So it's sport's so it, responsibility to put it back. It's, well, not to me, funny. At the moment, you are a 16-year-old. Your pathway in education is there. There is a system there that will allow you to get educated. Why, aren't the, why are athletes not in that system? Because sport has removed them. Therefore, whose responsibility is it to look after those athletes in terms of their education and future prospects? It's not education. They have a system that allows you to be educated, then puts you into, a work, into the workforce. Sport has removed the athletes from there. Therefore, rightly, and this is what sport does not accept in most, it is their responsibility to take on, well, what is their future and how do we put them into the workforce? Sport is very good at removing them and then going, right, you're retiring, off you go, it's somebody else's responsibility. It's, it's the old, I'm sure your parents or whatever, if you create the problem, you fix the problem. And that's, that's, what, that's what at least been accepted in the UK with TAS. Actually, we're not going to fix the problem because we ain't going to create the problem because we want dual career. And actually, the investment that we do to not have the problem is far less than actually the investment we would need to put in to fix the problem at the end or deal with the social costs of not fixing it. But sport doesn't accept that. They accept the primacy of sport. Well, of course you're going to do it, but when it's finished, it's somebody else's responsibility to look after these athletes. How much, how much support did you get when you retired from your sport? As I said in the beginning, it's mind-blowing. You also chair uh, the European Union expert group in human resources, sports and events. What, what is that direction? How, how is that in Brussels going, uh, okay, as EU uh, directives is towards this, or this is what has to happen? They, they very much, the, the, the group looks at policy or recommendations with regards volunteering, coach development, and also dual career for athletes, because they see this as a significant issue because... Again, they look at this about it's the right thing to do. It's about athlete welfare, but it's also about the economic dimension of Europe. All these athletes will ultimately end up needing a job and working. Therefore, are they our asset or are they a drain on the European community and its members? So they take this very, very seriously in actually, well, we need to provide athletes this support. The issue that you have is because soft, uh, sport is a soft competency within the EU, it's an area where the EU can advise, make recommendations, best practice, but ultimately it is a national responsibility. So the, the EU can turn around and say, you should do dual career for your athletes, but it's not within their remit to impose that as, a, as, as legalization of law. They can only advise. Ultimately, it would take the Romanian government or the German government to go, actually, we're doing dual career. But there are also some uh, some directions in Sport Plus, like funding of programs yeah. like this. Yeah, so that's they, they, they use that. So the, so the program you were on, which was a FIFA um, program, was funded to help retiring basketballs, retiring basketballers be supportive in their transition out of basketball, give them skills, a degree, or whatever level of qualification was possible for them. But again, it's along the lines of it's a small bit of funding to help create best practice or research or information that ultimately will help either international federations like FIBA, the IOC, or governments say, actually, this is a good idea. Because how many, there was 100 athletes on the, the FIBA program? 
there's, there's probably more there's like, probably more than that no, like in the 80. whole of Europe. Yeah, right. more than that in the whole of Europe that retire each year. Right. In some of the big countries, that might be just one country that where the retirement's happening. It's it, it's a drop in the ocean of creating best practice and things that people can look at and actually go, that's great. I think we should be doing that. It's not ultimately the EU's responsibility to run dual career programs for countries. It can help support, help develop, but ultimately the drive and the resources has to come nationally. And, and I guess looking and, and talking to you and telling us about Japan, Brazil, they understood this is, <laughs> this is the direction. They, they understand, but it's it's then whether they feel it It, 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 you know, they have the drive to deliver it, or whether they think it's it's important enough. So very much the Japanese, they seem to get it. They start to implement stuff, and they are moving on the process. But obviously, at the moment, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics is a far more bigger thing on their sporting environment. So the development has been slower, but something's still happening. Brazil, we did an awful lot of work. Not much has happened just because of their structure the power of the sports ministry and everything within it so all each country is different i think what we're now at the stage of is everybody we speak to understands there is an issue there is a solution dual career the next question is who's going to do something about it and you know we've gone two steps in identifying the issue there is a possible solution the, the, but the big step is right Who's going to do it? Who is actually going to do it and step up in whatever environment there is a control, whether it is the, the league, whether it is the International Federation, whether it is the government? That's the next step. Who's actually going to put the money, their money where their mouth is and actually say, we're going to invest in this and actually say athletes are important, particularly in an environment where the investment sport just will tell everybody they don't get enough money just to do the sport that they want. Never mind, why do we need to invest in athletes' education when I can't actually get them on the plane to compete at this championship? So us, the athletes that, okay, we finished careers and we finished in different sports at different levels and, and so on, are we examples for the youth? Or actually, I know the answer to this because I'm part of TAS. But uh, many people think that, okay, if I finish, finish playing, I can take my experience and, and teach a, a young guy, a young talent, yeah. and come to him yeah. and say, hey, listen, you, you cannot do that. Look, look, I know, because I've been meddled in, in this and that, and yeah. I, I have success. Yeah. Oh, perfect. You're an 18, 19-year-old hoping to go to the Olympics. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to Guy Taylor, a middle-aged white man from the north of England, going, who are you, don't understand what the hell, you know, what the hell do you know? Or are you going to listen to someone that's been through the system and say, don't make the mistakes I made, or this worked really well? They're not, they're not going to listen to their parents. They're not going to, you know, then you need to find somebody they will listen to. And the best people they will listen to, actually, are people who've done it and they actually think they can learn from. It, it's a bit of a fake fake way of getting them to listen. They'll think that, I want to listen to you because I might get better at basketball. But if in your work and your interaction with the athletes, you can say, yeah, you can get better at basketball, but you'll get better at basketball by also doing X, Y, and Z, planning for the future, that's the way. You've got the foot in the door. The athletes have got the foot in the door. They're there, they can use examples. They have experience. They can relate to these athletes and talk to them at a level that they understand. But is that enough? Actually, no. If there's not a system, you can do as much as you want with the athletes. But if then there's an education system that, and or a dual career system that won't allow them to do it, but is it therefore saying, well, we won't do it because it's not enough? You shouldn't. Yeah, you've got to do what you can. If as a, as an ex-athlete, you can at least. You might identify if you sit down and say, well, I made 10 bad decisions during my playing career. If by an interaction with an athlete, you can actually mean, I haven't fixed everything for you, but you only made five bad decisions, they will be in a better place. Just because you can't fix all doesn't mean you shouldn't try. 
I, I we we can speak about that and all, all that you talk prior for forever let me get a little bit to you how how did you get into this how did you decide oh. 16 years ago oh, listen i need to create a system like this i didn't i i was lucky enough that actually i didn't have to say i need to create what actually happened was the, the government with some people with some very good hindsight said we need to do something in this area so actually they produced a a, a, a government white paper which basically says we're not quite sure but we need to do something with regards athlete and education um and they advertised for somebody to run it and i actually through my other work before there where i'd worked in professional sport performance analysis university sport worked with um what you would call olympic and paralympic teams in other roles actually had the mix so i both had the education but also the sporting mix so i applied for the job and got this nice little few pages saying we need to do something in this area and actually let's create something it actually sat it, it it sat a bit with my own experience i was an all right sports person i was never going to win an olympic medal i was never going to play professionally but i was all right i was actually an athlete i actually survived in school and university because i was good at sport you know i played rugby i played i did i rode i hockey football, cricket, squash, ski. I did all that for university, school, sports. I survived that way. But it got to a point where I actually go, I need an education. I can't keep surviving on my sport. So actually, sport for me then took a back seat and I started, my, I started when I went to university doing more and more education. It was actually a, a sort of journey I'd been on. So it was something that actually interested me with some experience and it's actually set me in good stead to actually understand not necessarily the the mindset of a really world-class athlete, but actually how the system works and actually what support you need at different places and what decisions an athlete might have to make. So actually I had a probably a new, unique set of skills in actually understanding the system that the athlete could follow, but also having worked on both sides of the fence, both in worked in sport and in education, that I could bring together and actually go, right, if we're going to do something what are we going to do now we didn't get it right in the first and we're still learning what we've been able to do and what has been good by the government and our funders is that actually there's no right answer to this things change and actually this is going to be a constant development and rolling profile and system that we we go on and each year we, we we develop a bit more we actually think we now understand that we can make a difference here how can we then so if you look back at where we started to where we are now there's a lot of fundamental difference because we've we had 15 years on a journey to learn and it's not often you get that opportunity in any work whether it's in business or in a charity or anything where you're given the opportunity to learn and in fact, I think we were lucky because we were the first. There was no comparison for us. So everybody just looked at us and said, well, you're there to also learn as well as develop a system that supported athletes. Well, looking at you and what, what, what you're doing there and having this example and talking about change, do you think athletes change? Like the approach of kids now, is it different than 15 years ago? Do they look more into a, you know, tell me today, I don't care about future, tell me today. You know, how we always talk in every, in every domain about millennials and how, how people don't have that, you know, they act different. And now esports is coming and changes in technology and in analyzing sports from different angles. Yeah, there's been you know there's been a lot of change with the athletes. Um, you you feel that in the approach of of your yeah, in over, over 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 fifteen years there's been a significant amount of 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 change. Fundamentally, that when we started it was I'm doing sport. I'm going to try and get a bit of education. I'll see what I can do. To actually now, if I want to develop as an athlete, I've got to do education. Right. The, you know that that's the way I do it because that is now the system. For if I want to develop as an athlete, and if and if I you know, so if you talk to most sixteen and seventeen year olds now, okay, you're an archer. What's your plan? I'm going to university. I'm going to college because they understand that is the system. 
and therefore it's it, you know when we talk about a sports pathway you know your development of sport pathway the sport development pathway is via education so that's been a fundamental shift but what we've also noticed is that athletes walk away from the sport far easier because there's far more other options out there so in the past where there may have been a discussion at 18 we don't think you're going to make it you're not good enough the athlete kept playing the sport they went to a club or they went you know they stayed in the system what we're now finding is as soon as that discussion takes place particularly at the younger level actually at 16 we don't think you're good enough that's it they walk away from the sport because there's other things to do as you say there's the xbox there's you know right fine you say i'm not good enough so their commitment to it is they leave the sport so while the athletes that stay in the system might be getting better i.e new records you know better skills better you know all that the actual number of the athletes in the system is falling because the system is driving them out because they've been told they're no good so what we're finding is that sport pyramids rather than being wide are narrowing and narrowing and narrowing so the athletes are quite willing to go well you've told me i'm no good i'm leaving you because they don't feel there is a desire from the sport to stay in the sport what they actually see is that they only want me if i'm good fine then you don't think i'm good i'm going somewhere else so it's another issue that we now talk to with sports saying basically you've got to change your system you've got to keep the people in your sport or your sport's going to collapse because you'll have no talent coming through so that has been another fundamental change that the commitment to the sport disappears as soon as they get given the direction and you're not going to win a medal you're not good enough and that they actually will if i'm going to be developed the sport i'm going to stay in education that's just the way it is there is also i must have the best I, I i'm going to win an olympic medal therefore at 16 year old i need biomechanics i need nutrition i need psych i need you know the there is a, a more greater reliance a more greater demand for what you would call the sciences than necessarily the skills the athletes they think they can develop as athletes by being the fittest the strongest the healthiest than necessarily having the best skills so actually the skill level in certain sports may actually have decreased but actually the athletes are far fitter far stronger because they're getting that type of sport so the investment in the actual skills of the athlete is declining but the investment in the tangible i.e you know can the athlete lift this weight yes we can get them to that level so the balance i, I see the balance becoming all wrong because talent talent and skill is one thing and actually the skills that athletes are given aren't necessarily as much as 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 they were before they're becoming more robots being very strong very fit but actually being able to think been having the skill to compete is maybe not there as much interesting so so it's harder and harder to retain them yeah because there's far more pressure you know as a 16 year old if you're told you're not going anywhere in this sport there are far more other things for them to go to isn't there they walk away i i've been listening to you in classes i've been listening to you in when we had the great opportunity and thank you again for coming to Romania to talk to us in the summit in the business and sports leaders summit uh, and I, and I feel like we can talk forever and we just touched the a little part of the education side we didn't even go into the sports uh, research and how, how you actually help also the the sports side to become better and to become more efficient and to become more more uh, I don't know professional in in their way i i know that you're busy and i know that uh you've given us this time you know i'm grateful thank you very much for this as, as a closing thing please tell us one book for us to read what what do you think it, it's a it would be a a, a good title we, we i i was thinking to give our listeners every time like you know a title um oh that's that that's that's actually a difficult one a book to read i'm a great i'm a great i don't know this sounds this, this this i'm a great believer in history in actually you learn you learn a lot 
from what's happened in the past in sport because fundamentally running onto a field bouncing the ball putting it in a net doesn't change how it's coached you know that so i don't know whether i can say a particular thing but i i i i particularly you know read the books with regards to the history of sport and the development of whether it's the federation or anything like that and actually that's where i that's where I actually go Actually, that's the same now. What did, how did they deal with it? How did they go about it and everything like that? So the book, the book I'm reading at the moment is called um, is um, a book about the 1948 Olympics in London, okay. and actually all all the politics that are going on about now with regards the cost of the Olympics, where sport has come from, and everything like you know how much is it going to cost for Tokyo to host it. The book that I'm reading is because that they were known as the Oster. Ost, Ost, I can never get it right, but basically they were done on, done very cheaply. I'm just seeing if I can grab it, and actually just reading that puts you back firmly in actually what sport's about. And but it's, I think you can find it if you search for the. Um, sorry, I can't think of the exact title of it. Um, I'll, I'll look for it. You'll look for it, but it's the 1948 Olympics in London, and it basically goes back to why we do sport. We held an Olympics, and and it was done on a shoestring. And it's basically that sport. That's what we should be aiming for. About the nature of sport, the goodwill in sport, why we do it, and it just grounds you. In actually, that's what we should be looking at. So no, if you could, I'll, I'll, I can send it to you. I'll, I'll find it and send it to you. But that's that's the one I've been reading. All right, great. I'll I'll put it on when when we uh, publish the podcast. Thank you very much again for your time. It's it's a great pleasure to talk to you and and to call you a, a friend. And you came here and your involvement, it's it's unbelievable. And I know that you probably spent home so little, being on the way all the time, doing all these projects, having all these teams put together, people that you led in in this, and you created like a. You, you you are a pioneer into this and it's great to to have the opportunity to talk to you so thank you again guy for your time thank you very much mm-hmm.